Okay. A little bit later in the episode, I'm going to tell you more about the hormone fixer because I know you're dying to know. This little bad boy supplement that I created, if I do say so myself, is amazing at so many things, so many benefits. So it raises your natural testosterone, ladies, that GSD hormone. It helps with weight loss. It helps improve insulin sensitivity. It helps with anti-aging. It increases your own growth hormone, the anti-aging hormone that helps with the wrinkles and the stamina, energy, focus, brain. It also helps with your mood and lowers your response to stress. So you're just going to have to wait a little bit more and we'll tell you more about it. The Hormone Fixer. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. Super excited for another amazing guest. I just have to tell you about her and you're going to love her accent too. Angela Foster. She is a nutritionist, health and performance coach and host of the top rated podcast, High Performance Health that I was also blessed to be a guest on. As a former partner in a large law firm, definitely a type A driver, Angela is no stranger to the demands of long working hours in a high pressure environment. that I'm sure many of you are accustomed to as well. Angela left the world of corporate law after a serious illness in 2014 and used integrative health practices and biohacking to rebuild her physical and mental health. And we'll dive into her story on this podcast. Through her coaching programs and online membership, the Female Biohacker Collective, which I love, Angela's mission is to educate and inspire you to become the CEO of your health and live a vibrant, healthy, and limitless life. So please enjoy this amazing discussion I had with Angela. Angela, welcome to the show. I appreciate so much you coming on here and I cannot wait for this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Amy. I'm so happy to be here. So people heard your intro already, but I want you to dive in because I'm a firm believer that we all are in this space helping other people because of something that we have went through. Now, you and I talked a little bit off camera about your PCOS. We shared that I have it as well. My listeners know I have that in, in addition to Hashimoto. So can you tell us kind of your journey of discovery of your own health conditions and what brought you into the space of helping others? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. So 
Originally, I was practicing as a corporate lawyer in London. So I was working kind of crazy hours, you know, regularly through the night, doing all the things that we both talk about that you shouldn't be doing, like totally compromising on sleep, pushing through, surviving on caffeine and energy bars. And I was I was into health. You know, I was always like I'd sort of, you know, cycle into work, do a workout before I started. I'd eat pretty healthy. I kind of thought I was doing enough. No real focus on my spiritual health at that point, which has kind of become a biggie for me over the years. Uh, but I felt like I was doing enough. And I think in your 20s, you just get away with things, right? It's almost like you're invincible. And then the first thing was when I then, like, I'd always had this thing from a teenager where I didn't have a regular cycle, but I didn't know why. And and I was prescribed the contraceptive pill, which is just terrible. And you know, all the things it does for your brain as well included. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of on and off that and then I, my husband and I were thinking about starting a family and I was like, well, how are we going to do this unless I have a regular cycle? So that's when I started getting it investigated. And that's when I, a bit like you, actually, the first doctor completely dismissed it out of hand, even though my bloods and a scan were really clearly saying that's what I had. I didn't have PCOS, apparently. But eventually I sought help, you know, went to see multiple different medical professionals and was diagnosed with PCOS. And that was really the first foray into it for me because I realized that there was a link between, you know, insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance and PCOS. And I'd been prescribed metformin. I couldn't take it. I found I just couldn't eat anything on it. So I was having to find other routes. And I also had surgery, which then identified that I had endometriosis as well. So I was kind of, and, and I had all the endometriosis lasered out, um, had the surgery and they'd said to me, you know, you, you, the next six months is kind of your best chance of having a child. And at the time I was going for partnerships. So I was on this partnership track working crazy hours and I was just like, okay, do you know what? I'm just going to go for both. Typical type A personality. Let's not do one. Let's do both. And we'll see what happens. And I was very fortunate because I did change my diet around and I was able to conceive my child naturally, my first child. But then they said to me, you know, if you want to have further children, don't leave it too long because it will all sort of regrow in terms of the endometriosis. And so I then had my second child very quickly. I made partnership when I was eight months pregnant. And then by the time I was due to go back from maternity leave, I was already three months pregnant with my second. So it was a bit of a whirlwind. And I got postnatal depression unexpectedly. I think I was in denial for, for, for quite a bit of time uh, until eventually things got so bad that I, I had treatment. And then after my third child, it became more entrenched. And this is when it really, I really hit kind of, I guess what you would call rock bottom. And I was on pretty strong kind of bipolar meds. Uh, really contemplating suicide a lot of the time. Even though I loved and adored my children, I just couldn't get my my head under control and kind of turn off my thoughts. And that's when actually I ended up with pneumonia. It was it was strange because I knew I, I was sick. The kids got ill. They got a chest infection. I picked it up. I couldn't get better. You know, I was having repeated courses of antibiotics. And then the doctor called me, they'd done a chest x-ray and they said, we need you to come to the hospital. And he just kept talking about the lymph glands, looking at the scans, going the lymph, the lymph, the lymph. And I was like, why do we keep talking about the lymph? Like people normally talk about this when there's cancer or something like that. Is that what you're saying? And he was like, well, it's hard to rule it out. So then I had a CT scan. They put a dye through me, went in the big donut machine and I walked back in to the doctor's office, hadn't even sat down. And he's like, it's worse than I thought. And there was me thinking, oh, my God, have I got lung cancer? You know, I'm like mid 30s. What is going on with my health? And it turned out, as you know, it was it was viral and bacterial pneumonia, but it had just become so bad that my lymph was really, you know, swollen. And essentially, they admitted me straight away. I wasn't allowed to go home, couldn't say goodbye to my kids and 
pick them up from school. And that was a really defining moment. And I think it's really interesting because Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about how when you kind of have very high fevers, it can give way to that lucidity of thinking. And it did with me. And I felt this profound sense of peace in hospital. You know, I tried to run away from myself. And then here I am stuck with myself in hospital on my own, away from my family. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and thinking, and, you know, fighting for my life, you know, hooked up to drips and oxygen and all different things and thinking, what the hell has happened? What am I going to do? And because I felt this sort of sense of peace, I just made a commitment to myself that I was going to get better. My kids needed a mother to see them grow up. I didn't want to be them to be those kids whose mom had taken her own life or had got herself into such a bad state that now she was so ill that was going to happen. And so I decided I'm going to get healthy. So when I came out, I went through this process. I went to see a functional medicine doctor. How can I rebuild my health? And, you know, the usual stories, you get knocked down again, right? I had another chest infection. I'd lost a ton of weight. My microbiome needed oxygen. I had all these things I had to do. And then I started retraining. And at first, if I'm honest, it was a little bit like selfish, really. It was like, I really want to understand health. I want to understand how I can get better and stay better. And then I started to work with clients and work with people and realized, wow, this could actually make a difference to so many people. And then it's just become my whole my whole mission really in life is to help people live what I would say is a healthful, energetic and limitless life. Because I think so many of us are limited um, by our health. And I think, as you and I were saying, it really is the foundation of of longevity, but also sustained high performance. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, that is such a powerful story, Angela. And I'm sure I know many of my listeners can listen and relate to feeling that low and feeling that sense of hopelessness and maybe even being on the edge of, quite frankly, not wanting to live anymore because when your health is is so degraded and you're searching for the answers and you're wondering what the outcome is going to be, it's very easy to fall into a very deep, dark low and not have any hope that things can change. And I love the fact that you work with high performers because a lot of my listeners, as they know, as they know, I target, I love type A's, I love driven individuals, but we all have those who are type A tend to drive themselves into the ground and tend to put health second in it behind performance. And what I hear you saying is you can't have performance without health. So you can't put it second. No, you can't. You're absolutely right. And I think if more people could understand that, and what I say to them is treat yourself like if you're an entrepreneur, think of yourself as the entrepreneurial athlete. You know, if you're a leader, think of yourself as the leadership athlete, because athletes really have this dialed in, right? They really consider that sleep is essential. They don't skimp on sleep. They don't say, oh, tomorrow I want to run faster. So I'll stay up all night running because that will make me faster tomorrow. It just doesn't work. And so, you know, they prioritize their sleep. They prioritize their nutrition. They prioritize, you know, their visualization, their affirmations, everything that gives them the mindset to support that. And I think we, particularly in the corporate world, we're too busy kind of trying to get ahead and do the next thing and the next thing and just skimping on this stuff, thinking, well, I'll get to that tomorrow, but then tomorrow never comes. And that's why we have such high levels of stress and all the things that you see in your practice, like so many autoimmune disorders, I think, because people are just pushing that candle just too far. Absolutely. 100%. So you took your experience and 
literally turned it into an entire program. So you have a, a shift protocol to literally optimize people's health. So can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So really shift came about because I was thinking, how can I put this in a really easy to use way? Because actually the lifestyle habits and the behaviors are simple, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy to do. So I wanted a way for them to remember it and also to try and just put in place these pillars. So shift really is five key pillars that I look at. So the first, and we can go through them if you want to, but the first is sleep. The second is hormonal balance, and that incorporates everything, right? From thyroid health to stress hormones to insulin sensitivity, sex hormones. I just think that our hormones are really what make us us and how we feel. And then we have insights. So these are things that I help people with. If we look at insights that we can look at at home with things like wearable devices that are pretty easy, even looking at body composition, step count, or using, you know, things like the Aura Ring, for example, to track your sleep, and then looking at lab work. I think there's certain insights we can all benefit from looking, not because I want people to become orthorexic or anything, but because they can keep a track, right, and know what's going on. And then we have the fourth pillar, which is the F, which is how to fuel your body. And again, I say fuel rather than eat, because I think we fuel our ways, our, our bodies in multiple ways. So I have an acronym flow, which is food, light, oxygen and water. If you can get those, you can get into flow. That's going to really help you. And then the final piece is the T, which is training your mind and body, because that's where I fell down. I trained my body. I was doing all that physical activity, but I didn't meditate. I didn't do gratitude or journaling or breath work or any of those practices. And I really lost control of my mind. So I think it's a, a mind body thing that that is Perfect. I love that. I love shift and I love each pillar that you focus on. So let's break those down because sleep, I'm right there with you. I think it doesn't get the love that it should in our health community. You know, we tell people, hey, you need to sleep. And then that's it. We don't tell them the detrimental effects of even one, maybe two nights of less than optimal sleep. So let's, let's break each one down because you know, I love hormones. I love, I love food. I love training. Let's, let's break them all down. So go ahead. You start. Okay. Let's do it. So with sleep, as you say, I think people don't realize like one poor night sleep can make you as insulin desensitized as a type two diabetic. Like yep. that's just crazy. And yet we just ignore it. And then we go, Oh my God, my mood and my energy is all over the place. And my blood sugar's out of control. And it's like, but you're living on like surviving on five hours of sleep. So I don't always say to people, I think we don't necessarily always have to sleep more. And I look a lot at genetics. And what I do see is we have different sleep needs. So some people very definitely need that classic eight hours a night. And then I see people who genetically have a lower sleep need. And you can test for this. You may be someone actually, interestingly, there are a few people who need more than nine hours. So I don't think it's like a one size fits all. But I think that looking at the quality is important. And I think understanding like there are going to be times when you're going to be underslept. So it's also about understanding A, how can I get the best night's sleep every night? But when I don't, how can I support myself with the right nutrients and things that can make up for sleep deficits in that time so that I can still have high performance and I can still bring it the next day? Because this is common in, you know, I'm never going to change the legal profession overnight where they're suddenly just going to say, yeah, do you know what? No, go home to bed. Don't worry about that deal. We'll just close that tomorrow. It's not going to happen. So essentially with sleep, I think we need to look at the quality and you'll know you can test your 
your genes, but also you probably have an inkling over whether you are a morning type, whether you're a night owl. Now, for me, I'm an early morning type. So working those late nights or all nighters sometimes was completely going against my genetic chronotype. And when your circadian rhythm is out of alignment, you're going to have health consequences, maybe indirectly, but they're going to build up. And so I think understanding your chronotype and trying to align your day a little bit more with that. So if you're an early morning person, then prioritize that. Go to bed early. Take advantage of that productivity, that focus that you have in the morning. You'll also kind of know if you have less of a sleep need, because what we see from the research is if you're underslept, your body and brain is going to be less likely to really binge and make up when you do sleep. So some people are like, oh, I just had to have a lie-in at weekend. Often with people who don't need as much sleep, they don't actually really ever do that. But what we do see them do is they prioritize more of their deep sleep or more of their REM sleep. So they're actually kind of expanding the depth or the number of hours that they spend in that when they're underslept. So I think really starting to understand you personally for sleep is very, very helpful. And then being consistent, the the overwhelming evidence. And it's interesting when you look at research done even by companies like Whoop and Aura, and they look at these, you know, thousands and thousands of users. What they find is that the best stats are coming from the people who go to bed and wake up at a regular time. Um, so that consistency is really key. And, and waking up, you know, on weekends, if you can wake up around the same time, you might have a nap later. You can like lay in bed, read the paper in bed, but at least be awake so that you're not then playing catch up because you can feel awful if, you know, you get that sort of what we call social jet lag, where it takes you to Wednesday to feel better. And then, hello, come Friday, the wine comes out and you're staying up and doing everything all right. over again. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I think optimizing sleep and, you know, light is very key to sleep optimization, having too much blue light in the evening, as you know, I'm sure your, your audience is very familiar with that is not a good thing. So you want to limit that, wear blue blockers, all of those things. And then getting access to light early in the morning is going to help you produce enough melatonin so that you do sleep well when you come to go to bed. And like you said, there are simple behavioral changes but people make it more complicated. Like, oh, well, you know, I need to be on my computer till late because I have to finish up this project. No, you don't. Because that project that you're working on until nine, 10 o'clock at night is going to affect your performance. So you're doing it to try to get a raise or move up in the corporate world, but you're really going to decrease your productivity and your performance because of the lack of sleep. And I'll tell you those studies I know what you're talking about. They are real and they are scary. It even freaks me out to look at the studies. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. But mm. it's so true. You can go into type two diabetes within a day or two of, of poor sleep. So it's scary. It's, it's yeah. scary, isn't it? Yeah. And you're not cleaning house. Like you're not cleaning the brain. So like for me, when I look at my genetics and I have, and there may be people listening who have one copy or two copies even of APOE4, which predisposes them to Alzheimer's. It doesn't mean like, I don't want everyone panicking. It doesn't mean you're going to get it. Right. But right. you know that you have that predisposition. And, and I know you talk a lot, um, Amy, about the switch being turned on, right? If you have a genetic predisposition to something, well, sleep's really important. We know that you know, the glymphatic system is 10 times more active at night. So we have that cerebral spinal fluid that comes up and effectively cleanses the brain and removes these proteins and amyloid plaques that build up. Mm -hmm. So if we're not cleaning house on a regular basis, it's like having a dinner party and the washing up doesn't get done. And then you have another dinner party the next night and the next night, and it's going to affect your performance, but it's also going to really affect your longevity. So I think it is. Yeah. I think if people could pay more attention and this is coming from the person who worked all night and never slept, I don't think it makes you 
you more efficient. It definitely doesn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it has so many benefits on your health. So moving into hormones, because this is my, my favorite, my favorite step in the whole process, hormones, thyroid, insulin, sex hormones, cortisol. It's also important. So give us your take on that. So my take is obviously like as a big overview, I would say is this is an orchestra that we're trying to conduct. So we need to, they all interlink, as you know. And so to be able to conduct that orchestra effectively, we need to have the right balance and lifestyle practices. And and you and I have been chatting on my show about hormone disruptors, you know, that can mimic things like estrogen in the body. Also understanding like you are not, I think Dr. Stacey Sims said it so well, you know, women are not small men. So all the things that apply to men, you don't have to blanket, go and do them and do like 20 hour fast, wake up 5am, do a really hard hitting hit workout, then follow it with a 20 hour fast, you know, and just feel exhausted all of the time. And then you suddenly wonder why your cycle's all over the place. Right. Uh, so it's about understanding that we are different and that we have this second infradian rhythm. It's not just a circadian rhythm we were talking about there in relation to sleep, but understanding that you're going to feel different in the luteal phase than in the follicular phase. And I think that this is part of the insights is starting to look at your menstrual cycle. A lot of women don't even know exactly when their period is, when it comes, how regular it is, just not to become obsessed, but start to understand, see it as a marker for health. Look at it. How does it look? You know, I know when I had endometriosis and had the surgery, I was shocked when I went to the bathroom and had my first natural period Mm post-surgery. It was clean. It was like fresh blood. It wasn't these like giant three, four inch clots that had been coming up that over the years I'd become accustomed to think was normal. normal. You know, people go, oh, I get clotting, I get pain. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that too. And it's like, yeah, but there's levels of this stuff, you know? And I think because as women, we are very accepting of things, right? We often put ourselves last and it's very difficult to measure. You know, there I had the polarity of going, this is post-surgery when it looks nice and clear like it should. And this is pre-surgery. There was a very stark difference, but that wasn't true. Over the years, somehow it had got a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And so I think it's like you say, you know, go and get this stuff investigated. It's not normal to feel on the floor to have really bad PMS, terrible bloating. You know, sometimes some of the women that come to me, it affects their businesses dramatically or their careers because they have two good weeks a month and then they've got menstrual migraines and they're struggling. And it's like you, you were meant to feel good every day. And I think when you start to understand that and start to optimize around your menstrual cycle, your workouts, your nutrition, you're going to feel a lot better and a lot different. And actually, you, you, both you and I have kind of got on top of PCOS, right? It's not, we, we have regular cycles. We don't have blood sugar that's all over the place. And yes, maybe it takes a little bit more attention and sacrifice than some other people, but it's so worth it. So worth the effort because of how you feel. So worth it. You're hundred percent right. Once you have all of the hormones. So when we say hormones, we're not just talking estrogen, testosterone. When you have all of the hormones balanced and optimized, it brings you to another level of performance and focus and concentration and life because hormones essentially give us life. And I don't know if you run into this as well, Angela, especially working with high-performing women. I'll often hear that, well, my mom didn't take hormones. I want to age naturally. And it's like, yeah, but we have to remember that balancing hormones and giving you those hormones back that might not be 
produced anymore in your body or doing things like lifestyle, sleep, food changes that can optimize your hormone balance and function. That is what gives you that edge, that gives you the better performance that maybe your mom didn't because she didn't know any better and nobody told her. And, and, and secondary to that, we used to not live past menopause. You know, menopause, what it came on, hormones changed, and then we died. Now we're living longer. We're living 30, 40 years past menopause. So we exactly. have to address hormone balance at some point and not make it like it's something bad or or like you're you're not a high performer if you give in, quote unquote. And, and take hormones or do things to balance them. Do you agree? Do you see that? With, with I totally energy? agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think it's a, a combination of both, isn't it? It's getting the, like, getting the lifestyle piece right and getting the practices. And then if you need to take exogenous hormones on top, then why not? Like, it's better living through science. Why would you not do that? That's what I see. And I think... You know, if you you can do so well when you think you've worked hard all your life, there's been a series of disruptions as well for women because, you know, men and like teenage boys and girls, they go through puberty. Both of you go through that disruption. Then you get into your 20s. You kind of feel a little bit on, more on an even keel. And that's if you haven't got any hormonal problems, if you're lucky. But if you do, you've got things to sort out. You're dealing with issues. Then you want to get pregnant. So now you're thinking, well, how can I get myself into the best state? Right. Then you are. So you're like prenatal. Then you have pregnancy, massive disruption on the body. Then you're postnatal, huge disruption again. You're breastfeeding. Then you might do it multiple times, three times if you're like me. <laughs> so you go through this again. And then you just come out of it and you're like, hello, I'm in perimenopause. Like, right. what the hell is going on? <laughs> exactly. So I think we have to pay attention to hormones. And actually, if you think about it, this is a gift. I think in Japan, they don't even call it menopause, do they? It's like second spring or something, because oh. this is like, it's beautiful. It's like the time that your life's about to open up. Now you only have to worry about your circadian rhythm. You don't actually have to. And it's not, I'm not saying that's bad. It's a gift, right? We literally can 3D print a tiny human. That's amazing. It's right. so worth all the effort. But actually, post-menopause in your 50s, life's really opening up. So why wouldn't you do things that are going to enhance that function, give you, like, lift that brain fog? You know, and so I definitely see it as a, a combination of things uh, that I think can really do it. But yes, please pay attention to your hormones. It's so, so important. Love that. Love that. And I is where we're gathering data. So what is your eye again? And can you expand on that? Yeah. So the eye is the insights. So gather data. I think data allows you, it gives you stuff to work with because you can't really manage what you don't track. How do you know? It's a bit like we were talking about with your menstrual cycle. If you don't know whether it's happening or whether it's like, how near are you to menopause? Is it six months since you had a period or is it three months? Like how long? So we want to gather insights. I like, I work a lot with clients. I will dive into their aura ring. Pretty much all my clients will have an aura ring. Unless they're very athletic, then I think we probably does have the edge, but I like Maybe, yeah. the metrics. Which do you use? Well, Which I like the aura ring, but like you said, orthorexia with, with, you know, like with some of the type A's, you have to be careful about them. At literally yeah. basing how they feel on what the aura, oh, well, the aura ring said I didn't get good sleep. So therefore I feel like crap today when they don't even feel like crap today. Mm. Yeah, that orthorexia, yes. you have to find that balance, but I, I love the aura ring. Definitely, definitely you do. And so it's not necessarily right for everyone, but I think if you can gather insights and try not to judge them, but just look at it as feedback. Everything's feedback, right? Your period's feedback, how well you slept is feedback, how you feel when you ate a food. If you feel like you get 
gastrointestinal symptoms or you get brain fog, then that food probably isn't right for you. And so I think gathering data, doing labs annually and looking at them, sorting out any gut health issues. It amazes me how many people are willing to just live with the fact that, you know, three times a week, there's urgent trips to the bathroom. And then the other days of the week, they can't go to the bathroom. Right. And then sometimes they look like they're six months pregnant and that's just normal. Normal. It might be common, but it's not normal. So yeah, I think gathering insights and dealing with them. And when you start to feel really, really good, it becomes addictive, right? Health is addictive in a good way. Definitely gather that. Become your own biohacker, even if it's just journaling, right? Writing down how you feel. I score myself on energy every day. You know, one of the first questions I ask myself in in the morning is like, on a scale of one to 10, how am I feeling? And what can I do today to make myself feel better or to help myself feel better? So I think insights are key. I love that. I love insight because I love labs. So in addition to how they're feeling, we have to look at at that information, at those insights. And then F is the fuel. So what is your take on how we should fuel our bodies properly? So I don't think there is one size fits all. And in terms of fuel, as I sort of mentioned at the beginning, I look at this flow. So it's food, light, oxygen, and water. Um, I think in terms of the food component, I think you need to look at your ancestry, where you're from. I think you need to look at your activity levels, your stress levels, what stage of life you're at, your genetics. I think all those things come in and it may be different for different periods of your life. But I think there are some threads that, you know, like if you and I both have PCOS, if I look at my genetics, I'm highly carb sensitive. I probably didn't need to do a DNA test to know that. Like it's very clear if I put a CGM on. Again, that's another insight tracker you can use. Um, and so therefore I know that unfortunately I do have to be slightly lower carb. You know, my husband can sit there and have a big baked potato and not really get a response. That's not true for me. So I have to be careful. Um, so I think there isn't one size fits all. And in terms of people's preferences, I'm willing to go with whatever they want, but I would say it's quite difficult to eat a vegan diet and not supplement somewhere. And I feel like Brain fog can be quite common. You're not really getting things like choline in particularly high amounts if you're totally removing all animal produce. So I think just be aware and there may be good reasons for doing it. Um, But we can modify things around your what your preferences are. But I think like you say, uh, when we were chatting, you know, look for organic, look for pasture raised meat if you're having it. Try to buy the best quality that you can. Go to some, you know, websites like EWG to see the Dirty Dozen, the Clean 15 if you're on a budget and you're trying to prioritize it. Um, and eat micronutrient dense food. Look for the colors, you know. If you're having bright, colorful food, so leafy greens, berries, these purples, these reds, you're also going to be getting a lot of sirtuin enhancing compounds in your diet. And the cool thing about them is they help you gain muscle, they help you lose fat, and they activate your longevity genes. So they are like, and the great thing is these stacks, as we call them, are great tasting foods. They're things like dark chocolate, like resveratrol, which you can get from small amounts of, you know, dry farmed biodynamic red wine. You um, Turmeric, for example, which is, or curcumin, which is in turmeric. Green tea, really lovely. Add a bit of matcha powder and get the EGCG. You know, these things that actually are really improving your metabolic rate and enhancing your longevity. I always encourage people that, that my ethos is more about less crowd out the bad stuff by bringing in so much good stuff that tastes great that now you're not really missing it and you're not craving other foods quite so much yeah Um, so yeah that's really the food component i love that love that and then we move on to the training 
of your body and your mind. So you had mentioned you journal in the morning. Now I know I'm going to have a lot of listeners and myself included have this question. Okay. So you have a family, you get up, you got to, you know, get the kids to school. You got to make coffee. You got to, you know, say goodbye to the husband who's going off to work, whatever. How do you find time? How do you block that out? And what would you tell your high performing clients to do to get in that mind training component? And then you can move on to the body training. I personally, I do think that it's very, very difficult when you've got young children, like tiny children who are going to wake you up and just walk into your room at 5am <laughs> when you're trying to get up and create that morning routine. I remember when mine were tiny, reading Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning and getting so frustrated and going, why, why can't I do this? He even said you can do it in six minutes, just do each of the savers, one minute each. Why can't I do this? Because you've got young children, right? And you might be woken up at 3am. So I think we have to be be, be realistic yeah there's seasons in life however if yours are at an age like mine are where they're now sleeping through and they're going to come in later in fact mine are like teenagers now some of them were they're not going to come until very late mm-hmm. I do think that being intentional about your day is one of the best things you can do in the morning so rather than getting up and just getting back on the hamster wheel straight in the shower you know it's go 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 now I'm making the kids breakfast all these things doing the school run If you can wake up a little bit earlier, even if it's 15 minutes and give yourself some time, it will benefit you immensely. And I think that meditation is one of the best ways to train your brain. It's amazing for health, amazing for epigenetic expression, positive epigenetic expression and signaling your genes. But also it's really for high performers. It's an amazing way to train that mental focus. And you're going to be so much more productive when you've honed the ability to block out everything else and become hyper-focused. I think it's like, I always say to clients, you know, it's like if you think of a candle and you think of a torchlight, if you want to progress something, you can time block the task and think I'm only going to do this. But if your brain is so scattered, it's all over the place, you're never really going to be able to bring that energy and mental focus. And what you really need to do is to shine the flashlight. Because if you have a candle, it's kind of flickering and going everywhere. And I think meditation as a performance hack is just, you know, nothing short of incredible. So that's something that I do. How long it is, anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes. So if you can't, and I think if you can't, there are days when I just can't even do 10 minutes, right? And life's got a bit crazy, then do some breath work. Like even if you do one round of something like Wim Hof style breathing, but do something or journal, write out 10 things you're grateful for. Or even even if you're really short on time, when you get out of bed and you walk to the bathroom, each step can be something you're grateful for, but at least you're framing the mind, you know, on your way to getting into the shower. I love that. I love that. And like I said, on your podcast, I never gave the the credibility to meditation until I saw the scientific evidence. You know, I think a lot of people might even still now have that view of meditation as like foo-foo, right? I don't have time for that. You know, no, that's not what it is. It's, it's retraining your mind. So you mentioned Joe Dispenza. He's fantastic. He is really the first person to show me what meditation can do on a biological level, the brain scans that he looks at from people bringing themselves to a higher level of consciousness is amazing. So I, I really think once you know that there is science behind it, that it has an effect on your body, that gives your type A drivers a little bit more of a of a reason to do it rather than just, oh yeah, it's good for you, go meditate. And I yes, love, I love your tips. Definitely. 
Yeah. Very definitely. I totally agree with you. And I think he gives all the science to back it up. And I'm the same as you. And I used to think, well, I can't keep my mind still. And I think this is the other thing that's misunderstood, right? Is when you're meditating, your job is not to be the bouncer at the party. You're, you're not meant to be deciding what thoughts can come in and which ones go out. Just accept them and let them pass through, but don't attach. So it teaches you that non-attachment, which again, is so important to your relationships. It's important if you're in a leadership position to have that non-attachment. So I think it's a skill set. If you can come on board with it, you'll never go back because the benefits are so profound for your body and your brain. Uh, you know, we can't kind of disentangle one from the other in any event. Uh, so I think, yeah, I, I would say invest a little bit of time into growing some form of meditation practice and you won't be disappointed. I love that. Now, what about training the body? Because yes. I also know that it's very easy as a type A driven high performer to overdo it. So what do you see yes. with your clients? Yes, yeah, very easy to overdo it. And I think... It's, it's very easy as well to push yourself very hard and think, well, I've got to do it. You know, everyone goes out running and does some kind of ultra endurance thing and then wonder why on earth you don't have the body composition that you were after. You know, like running's probably never going to give it to you. No. So I think it's about understanding what's the minimum effective dose. If you could see it like that and look at the science, then you can just target that and go with it. And also understanding how to optimize it if you are still menstruating around your menstrual cycle is really key. But there are pillars that we need to hit. So we definitely need to build endurance. We're not moving enough, but we can build that through going out for a forest walk, a walk with your dog, and you can stack your hacks, right? So if you're short on time, you can take calls. If you feel like you've got to be taking notes, so you can't take, you can't walk and talk, or it doesn't feel appropriate for you, you need to be in the office. Mm -hmm. Then I'm sure there's podcasts that you want to listen to or books you want to read. You could read easily a book a month by just going out or book every two weeks and listening on audiobooks, which is what I'll do. So think about it then you're upgrading your mind and body at the same time but get that movement up and that you'll then track on your insights in the eye component because you can see yes I am getting that 10 12,000 steps and understand that if you have weight to lose the body fat will melt away when you begin to move more it just does and it doesn't need to be hard it doesn't need to be a run why not make it enjoyable go hiking go for a long walk have a chat with a friend you know it's it's nice and do it on a daily basis it's highly correlated i truly believe we walk our way to 100 so if you really want to live a long time let's start walking. Um, so that's a key pillar. Beyond that, uh, strength train. You need to strength train, right? For muscle mass, insulin sensitivity, bone density. You know, the list goes on. It's the only organ. It's a metabolic organ. It's the only organ that we can actually physically grow and make bigger and stronger. And no, you won't get big. You'll probably get smaller if you're lifting weights as a woman. Um, and it gives you that that tone. When everyone says, oh, I want to get more toned, that is your muscle. So I think make sure you prioritize that. And again, it doesn't have to be hours and hours in the gym. That's probably ineffective. But, you know, there's good research that supports the fact that you do need to lift certain muscle groups, multiple, like multiple sets and repetitions across a week. And if you can just hit that, so you might, if you think we all have 168 hours in our week. So if you're going to say two to three hours out of that 168, I will dedicate to enhancing my longevity through strength training. You're going to look good. You're going to feel good. And the results are going to be very health protective. So that would be the second thing. And then you just want to like get 
out of breath, like really out of breath occasionally. I think people, because a lot of people go out running and then they're in this like classic zone three, which is kind of a bit black hole training. What you want to do is do the, the endurance, the nice like conversation chatting that we were talking about, go for a walk, listen to podcasts, and then do have polarity the training. So do some really high intensity stuff where you go hard. The mistake I see people make is... They either do loads and loads and loads of running, which is stressing the body out, raising cortisol, leading to more belly fat and all the problems that you probably see in your practice. Or they they think I'm not getting results. So I was doing one hit class. Now I'm going to do two in the gym and they just keep layering on. And now they're even more time poor. And they're like, why am I not getting results? And it's like, (laughs) because you're doing too much and you're not doing enough of the right things. So those classes in the gym are not hit training. They're like vigorous exercise. And if you do too much vigorous exercise, you're going to stress your body out. So I would say do true hit and keep it very, very short. So you could do... Like if you want to enhance the health of your mitochondria, so mitochondria is the foundation of our energy, right? It's our energy system. We want more mitochondria and better quality. Then you can do, if you look at the scientific research, you can do four second sprints with 20 second recoveries, or you can do 20 to 30 second sprints and do like an eight times recovery, depending on what you have time for. So actually short, sharp bursts, really, really good. If you want to build muscular endurance, you can do Tabata training. It's four minutes. Everyone has four minutes. Otherwise you don't have a life, right? So I think just be effective. And you can also, you know, I do look at people's genetics. I look at their power, their endurance, their strength potential. And then we align their training programs. I work with my personal trainer. He will develop the plans based around their genetics. And that can get you faster results more effective results so you can do that too but I think the key thing to take away for training is build your overall endurance get active get up and move as much as you possibly can right every 30 minutes or so because that's non-exercise active thermogenesis it definitely burns a lot more calories and then strength train and then do a little bit of hit once or twice a week and if you do that around your cycle let's lay off the hit at the end of the luteal phase Um, we could do a whole podcast on that, but just be aware that you don't want to push when you're trying to optimize progesterone production, then you'll go a long way to optimizing your performance and your longevity at the same time. So I love you so much right now. And and for the people listening on the podcast, I'm smiling ear to ear the whole time you're talking because I didn't even tell you to say this. I didn't pay you to say this, but (laughs) I always say, don't be a cardio queen. Because the running and the the elliptical and all that is just increasing your endurance. And we have a saying on this podcast, it's LHS, lift heavy shit. Because that's the only way you are going to build, like you said, that sexy lean muscle. You're not going to get big unless you're taking boatloads of steroids. So, you know, the big bulky thing out out of the mind, that's not going to be you lift heavy shit so you can build that muscle that gives you a metabolism that you said, it's going to make you smaller, not bigger. Mm. Smaller, yep. And you can have more fun, right? You can go out for dinner with friends and have an indulgence and not feel like, oh my God, I'm going to gain five pounds overnight because yep. I did it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I love that you touched on that because that just backs everything that I always say regarding training. So oh, this is just a phenomenal, just a, a beyond phenomenal conversation. So you said something earlier too, that health is the foundation of sustained high performance. And you're right, I think, and we touched on this earlier, but putting your health second is not going to help you in any other area. If, if people do your shift protocol 
and and let's say they work with you to get really honed in on each one of those five steps, everything improved. And I've even joked about putting out some kind of a post or ad or whatever that basically, you know, optimizing your thyroid and hormones will make you more money. Well, what? How? Well, because when we do all of that optimization, you're going to be a better employee. You're going to be a better entrepreneur. You're going to be a better leader. And that is going to ultimately make you more money. So it's not really that far off saying optimizing this is going to make you more money. So same thing, getting in touch with your health, going through your five steps is going to lead to, is going to give you sustained high performance. I love that. 100%. And so true. Like we imagine if you've got an underactive thyroid and you've got really low energy and you can barely get yourself off the sofa and you're lugging around this excess weight, how are you really going to bring it and give your best performance? You're not going to. Mm-hmm. So I, I do believe that. And I think that in business and in life, it's all about longevity. You know, success is not an overnight thing. And so if you want sustained success and you really want to live your best life, then pay attention to your health. And if you look at the the wealthiest people in the world, they're doing just that. And so we can learn from them. And when you say longevity too, and, and I think you and I are on, on the same mindset with this, we're not talking about just living till you're 100. We're talking about maybe you live to 85, but you kick. 100%. And I think that I'm completely on the same page as you because I'll often get asked, if you're into longevity, how long do you want to live? I want to live as long as I'm living my best life, right? I, I, uh, interestingly, Bob Proctor, big uh, mentor of mine, he sadly just passed away last month. And he was coaching right up until the end. It's amazing. At 87, on his A game, and you just think, what a wonderful way to live right? That's just perfect. You want to be optimizing your brain and body and everything feeds into something else, right? So if you are exercising, you're going to be enhancing BDNF, which is like miracle growth for your brain. That's going to make you more productive. It's going to help. And I just think all these things come together. You can't take one. It's a bit like with the hormones when we talk about conducting the orchestra. If you just put these in and out of those 168 hours, really, how much are you having to sacrifice to make yourself better and more efficient? Not actually that much. And it pays dividends. Right. Absolutely. So you are giving the listeners a free health check, which we will put the link in the show notes, but this tells them what? Yes. So they can go and do a free interactive health quiz based on shift. So they can find out where they are, get their sleep score and get customized advice around how to improve their sleep, their hormones, their insights, their how to fuel their body, their training. Um, and they get a personalized report and they just go to yourtotalhealthcheck.com and they can take that quiz and then they can go back, repeat it as many times as they want and improve it. I love that. Thank you so much for giving listeners that. And can you also tell everyone how they can find you? Because especially my listeners in the UK, well, do you work with people all over the world? Yes, I do. I'm the same as you actually all over the world. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So tell um, the listeners where they can find you. Yeah. So they can also come and listen to my podcast, which is High Performance Health, which Dr. Amy has been on as well. Um, also on Instagram, I'm at Angela S. Foster. Somebody had already taken Angela Foster. So it's Angela S. Foster. <laughs> and then, <laughs> how rude. And then my website is Angela Foster Performance. Um, I also have a Facebook group if you're into biohacking called Female Biohacker as well. Oh, I have to join that. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'd love, I love it. it. 
Well, Angela, thank you so much for all of this information. This has been so fun, so fantastic. It just loaded down with, with touch points and things that people really need to focus on. I loved your shift protocol. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So now that you've heard all about the hormone fixer, I'm going to give you a challenge. If you actually listened to this podcast all the way to the end and you're still listening, you can use the code thyroidfix10, T-H-Y-R-O-I-D-F-I-X-1-0, thyroidfix10 and get 10% off my store. This is only for people that listened all the way to the end. I want to know what you think about my products. Make sure you let me know. Love y'all.